Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to join us today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we help entrepreneurs and business creators just like you win at the game of business and marketing. And as the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have the folks who help others build their businesses, the strategists, the designers, the assistants, the managers. And on the other side of the coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you grow your business. If you're one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and also on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. And fresh content is added every single week. We are now well over 100 episodes and continuing to grow. Now today, we are going to touch on something that I think everybody who is listening today, including yours truly, has dropped the ball on at least, at least once or twice. We've left some money on the table, we've let some opportunities just go by, and we've even found ourselves in situations where we sometimes just handed it to the competition because we either didn't have the bandwidth, we didn't have the time, we didn't have the energy, whatever it was. So we're not here to go back and revisit what happened. What we're here to do is now that we recognize that there is an opportunity for us to grow our business in a new and exciting way, is we're going to find a new way of doing it. So today's topic is going to be all about follow-up tips that make sense. And to share with us today on how to do that, we have Carrie Heats. And just to tell you a little, about, a little bit about Carrie, she's the publisher of Strictly Marketing Magazine and the host of Strictly Marketing Talk Radio. One of the things that, our, that her radio show and Business Creators Radio Show have in common is we have both hosted Larry Wingett, which is one of our great interviews. Both media outlets are dedicated to providing excellent marketing advice from professionals nationwide. Carrie's Magazine has an online community for women in marketing, and men too, that offers mentorship marketing ideas, and a media directory for those that are interested in more media coverage. Carrie's passion is to help other business owners with their marketing efforts to continue their dream of entrepreneurship. And you can learn more about her magazine at www.strictlymarketingmagazine.com. Carrie, welcome aboard. Adam, it's so great to be here with you and with your listeners, and I'm just so excited about this topic today. This is a very exciting topic for me, too, and we are going to get into a lot of the questions that people ask about follow-up and hopefully dispel some myths that are getting in the way from people having effective follow-up. We've had other guests on the Business Creators Radio Show that talk about this same topic, and I'm really looking forward to your spin on it. And what I hope our listeners gather is that not only are there different ways you can do your follow-up, but as you go back and listen to all these interviews, you're going to find that there are trends. And there are certain things that everybody says you need to be doing. Well, if everybody who's successful is doing it, then naturally you'd want to be doing that because it would make you more successful. And we hope that you get some, some of that today. Uh, but what I'd like to do here first is before we dive in to today's topic, what I'd like to do is just sort of take a step back. And for those of our listeners who haven't really had a chance to explore you or get to know you yet, just tell us a little bit about your background and what's brought you to where you are today. Absolutely. 
Well, my background is when I was very young, I was actually a model um, working in the entertainment industry and, you know, was working, uh, doing promotional modeling, trade shows, uh, got into acting a little bit and did some other things while I was in college. And I kind of gravitated to the other side of the industry, working on the a flip side of the desk, so to speak, on, you know, doing bookings, booking models on assignments, uh, teaching. I, I taught a lot of modeling and acting classes for a couple of different uh, schools and agencies. And when I started working in the corporate arena, I had a variety of different jobs. Uh, I worked as a legal secretary. I worked in the construction industry as an executive level admin. Um, but nothing ever really seemed to be the right fit. Um, mostly because of my personality. I always wanted to be the boss. I wanted to keep my own schedule. I worked very well with no supervision and wanted to keep it that way. And even though I had some really great positions that and great companies that I worked at, you know, I just kind of would get tired of it and I would go somewhere else. And finally I got a job working in sales and it was actually in the modeling industry believe it or not. And that seemed to be a very, very good fit. I just excelled at it. And I think it was more or less the independence that it offered me, you know, with the position, not having to check in or, uh, you know, I could do my job, but I didn't have someone standing over me constantly. And then I started working in other sales uh, arenas and decided, you know, I really want to have my own business. I would love to do something, you know, with the modeling industry. Right. And uh, I was working as a corporate recruiter, uh, doing high-level executive uh, recruiting for accounting, IT, and also for some clerical positions. And I, I set a goal for myself. I'm like, I'm going to have my own business within a year. And I worked really hard and saved up my money. I worked part-time and, you know, took the plunge. I put in a two-week notice at my corporate job. And I actually started to be an image consultant is, you know, was the industry I wanted to be in. But it didn't plan out that way, which I, I was fine with that. Uh, but I still remember, you know, I, I started my business in 2005. So it's it's been, it was 10 years uh, this past June. But I still remember that day, um, you know, that Friday, it was my last day at work, and that Monday when I woke up, Adam, I remember it vividly because it was there was just a little bit of rain, uh, you know, coming down. It was very overcast, and I remember looking out the window thinking, what did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, honestly, it's it's been, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride. I think most entrepreneurs have that, have that story. But, you know, like I tell people, I wouldn't trade my best day working for someone else for, you know, for my worst day, working for myself. There's just nothing, nothing compares to having your own business. Uh, but what kind of got me in the industry that I'm in now, um, working in the corporate arena, I did a lot of networking events. I had to attend a lot of different trade shows. I had a knack for pulling people together. Um, you know, was very good at that. And I also belonged to a lot of different networking organizations that would ask me, you know, we're looking to start a new chapter in this location. Can you help us? And for those of you who have uh, put together events before, you know, it's just, it's a lot of work. And I thought to myself, you know, until my image consulting business takes off, I'm going to start doing networking events and bring people together. I started doing that in some of the books, uh, Borders bookstores in the uh, cafe section. 
uh, just hosting little networking meetings, and then I started doing trade shows, and then people started asking me to help them with their marketing efforts, you know, individually, and it just kind of took a life of its own, and here we are 10 years later. <laughs> right. You know, uh, it's. I think we need to get to know each other better here because in some ways we have a lot in common. Uh, let me just pick out a few things that I found here. Uh, you made the uh, statement that being an entrepreneur, uh, your, your worst day as an entrepreneur is better than your best day working uh, in a job. Is that what you said? Absolutely. And I, you know, again, I think it takes, um, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. And I'm always, you know, I do have people who come to me all the time asking, you know, I would love to have my own business or I would love to work from home. And when we really sit down and have a conversation about it, so people really understand what's involved, they're not willing to make that trade off. So yes, I mean, even my worst day uh, that I've ever had, I still would not trade it, even though, you know, of course, at the time I was complaining, going, I don't know why I did this. I can't believe I'm here. Why did I, you know, why did I start this business? But I think everyone goes through that. People don't like to talk about it, but I think everybody goes through it. Yeah, uh, I I do talk about it. I've been interviewed on a number of podcasts about the day that I got so frustrated I smashed my printer into 100 pieces because it had the temerity to run out of ink halfway through printing a page. Now, there's a big context around why that happened, but it was just Mm -hmm. I I was just at a point where my business really sucked. And Mm -hmm. I still look at that and I say, this was a really awful day and this was a really low moment in my life. Mm -hmm. But that was still better than the best day I ever had working for a company. The reason being is because I could look at the situation, I could take a step back, take a deep breath, look at what's really happening objectively and say, this is how I got to this point where I'm smashing office equipment because I'm so frustrated with what's going on. But at the same time, I am the captain of this ship and I can turn the wheel right now, right this minute and start heading in a new direction. And that's exactly what Mm -hmm. I did. In the corporate world, unfortunately, this was my experience way too often, is when you had people drive you to that point where you just wanted to break something, you wanted to tell somebody off, not only did you have to smile and thank them for doing that to you, but then you had to apologize basically for being born because your relative Mm -hmm. value as a human being was determined by your position on some arbitrarily drawn thing called an organizational chart. So Mm -hmm. anytime I'm having a bad day in business, I just remember it could be worse. Uh, I'm not saying that all companies are like that. We do consult with small and medium-sized companies that get it right, that don't let this happen to their employees. But unfortunately, there are too many companies out there that do. So, uh, you know, there is hope. And if you're an entrepreneur and you're having a bad day, that's perfectly fine. Uh, Also, it's interesting, Mm -hmm. you used to work in recruiting and you uh, worked with um, people in accounting, information technology, and clerical. I... For eight months and 16 days, way back when I was a very young man, worked for a temporary staffing agency, and those are the three types of temps that we placed. Uh, That was absolutely my worst job ever, and I still celebrate the day that I was asked to resign as my second birthday, April 27th. 
Oh, my God. Well, you know what's so funny about corporate recruiting, too, is that – and I, I actually enjoyed it because I got to kind of play a little bit of a counselor, but I did more of the business development side. Right. So I would come in on Monday, uh, attend the Monday morning meeting, and then I was out in the field, and I didn't come back until Friday afternoon usually. Nice. Um, so it, it was – yeah, I, I did more of the business development side, so I really got to, uh, you know, make some great contacts. But, yeah, it's it's definitely um, – I, I I always recommend to people who want to become an entrepreneur, I tell them you need to change jobs. If they're not in a sales position, I tell them to look for a job that's sales related because obviously a very huge part of being an entrepreneur is we have to generate our own business. That's and right. if you can't do that, you won't succeed. I don't care how good you are at what you do. You have to be able to wear that sales hat. Yeah, that's very that's very true. And I learned a lot of great things working for that company. Don't get me wrong. I just thought I had a really mm-hmm. awful supervisor. And if I saw her on the street, I'd tell her to her face how awful she was uh, because she was one of the worst human beings I've ever encountered in my life. That's just how it is. Uh, but I did learn a lot from that experience. And one of the things I learned was how to inject sales into all of your daily activities. Uh, mm-hmm. every, everybody, every time I had somebody on the telephone, whether it was an applicant, whether it was an employer, whether it was somebody we were doing a reference check, those three types of calls that I'd be making and receiving all day long, every single one of those calls had an opportunity inside it. Mm-hmm. And, I lear- and I learned to sense those opportunities. I learned to listen to what people were saying, not the words that they were expressing through their mouth so much, but the tonalities and some of the stuff that they're saying kind of between the lines and between the pauses and sussing out those opportunities. I ended up finding a number of positions that were open that needed a temp that otherwise may have never been located. And uh, in many cases, I was uh, speaking with let's say, the employer or the client, and it just turned out that they had somebody who was between jobs, who was looking for something to do, that was a perfect match for a position that was on our board that we were desperate to fill. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, just, it's just funny. And then another thing is uh, that company had both a temporary services side and had an executive recruiting side. And I, and I overheard, or in some cases even got a chance to sit in on, some of the trainings they did for some of their executive recruiters. And one that has stuck with me to this day is how to take an, how to take an application submitted by somebody who's looking for a job and strip it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, I didn't do a lot of that when I was doing that because, again, I worked on – I just really kind of went out there, made the connections, right. and, you know, got the job orders, and, and the recruiters internally would fill those. Every once in a while I would come in and do recruiting if we had an overflow. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just very little on that side. Right, right. Well, well, to make it simple, the process of stripping is to go through and look for all the names and all the contacts and all the opportunities that could be sources of either new opportunities to fill a position or people who may be recruitable, somebody who may be looking for that next opportunity. Because when you're looking at executive Mm -hmm. recruiting, uh, by and large, you're looking for the person who's already successful, who's already settled and doing great with the job that they have right now. And you're looking to, this is why they call them headhunters, pull them out of that position and move them into something better. And then if you want to be really slick about it, is the day that they start their new job, you then call their previous employer and ask if they need any positions that are filled, and you end up filling both of them. 
Right. Yeah. And we did have people in the office who would do that. And I will say with that particular position, Adam, um, I really was able to develop and and really uh, put together some really good uh, systems in place for myself just with follow-up, you know, kind of what we were talking about today. Uh, So that's one thing that I really had a a chance to really cultivate my follow-up skills on was within that position. Right, right. And I wanted to spend a couple minutes on this just to lay that specific foundation that you said right there. Because, you know, since both of us have the background in that type of industry, we know how difficult it can be to do your follow-up, especially when you have 100 calls on your board, 10 positions to fill, 100 applicants to interview in place and reference checking everything else just you know just doing these nurturing calls sometimes falls by the wayside and uh, you know whether you're mm-hmm. working the phones in the office or like you you're out in the field all week long uh, it, it's it's hard just to even make that five seconds just to do that check-in call or to do that nurturing on that big account you're hoping to close or that person who you've got them interested and you're hoping to place them in a position but you don't have one for them right now and uh, there's just a lot of things going on here and we're going to get into that in just a second But listeners of the Business Creators Radio Show know what comes next. And we can hear the drum roll in the background here. And here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. A lot of our listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement anything that anybody shares with them except for time and money. This is the question we ask everybody who appears on the Business Creators Radio Show. And what I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of different ways the question gets interpreted. So, Carrie, tell us, how do time and money impact what you're going to share with us today? That's a wonderful question. And first, I want to say thank you for asking me that. And I'm glad that I was able to listen to a few episodes of your show prior to being a guest um, because it did give me a great idea for an article that I just wrote that's going to nice. be published in the in the coming weeks about time, money, and follow-up. Yeah. And what I would like to say to answer that question first and foremost is one of the mistakes I do see entrepreneurs make is that they don't put a dollar value on their time. Um, to give you a great example, I had someone say to me the other day, they were talking about social media, and they said, oh, social media is a great marketing tool. It doesn't cost you anything, and you, you can get customers from social media. And I said, well, back up a second. I said, are you doing the social media yourself or someone else in your office? And they said, well, both. And I said, well, you have to, if you're investing time into doing social media, you are, it is costing you money. It's costing you your time because time is money. And especially when you're on your own, every minute counts. So you need to be very good about you know, time management and what you're spending and investing your time in. And I told this person, I said, do me a favor, go back and you know, in a couple of weeks, calculate how much time you're spending on social media. And I said, I think you would be surprised if you're spending, we did this last year, Adam, and we found that we were spending 20 hours per week, which adds up over time. You put a dollar amount on that, you see how much money you're losing or you know what you're investing in something that may or may not be a good return for you. So, you know, with follow-up, what I would tell people is do not waste your time and the time that you have invested in finding prospects, in meeting with them. Don't waste your time by not implementing a follow-up system. It's imperative because if you don't do that, all of the time that you've invested networking cold calling on the phone, in person, uh, referrals that you have gotten, it's all wasted. And wasted time equals wasted money. Right. And I 
and I want people to hear that very carefully, especially the part where you look at your existing activities and you look for the opportunities. It could be leading to follow-ups, could be leading to new business and new opportunities, and are you just frittering those away? Because we all have the same 24 hours a day. It's a question of how we use those 24 hours a day that distinguishes us from the others in our industry. Now, uh, what are some of the most common mistakes do you see salespeople make when they leave that initial sales meeting, when they do get the meeting that they've been looking for? I find there's about five uh, major mistakes that I see most people make, um, you know, when they're networking or, you know, doing their cold calling and they're, they're doing setting up meetings and they're going to meet with the prospect and spend a half hour or hour with them. Right. Uh, first and foremost, I would tell people, you know, I, I see people make the mistake of they're not talking to enough people. You know, right. sales is a numbers game anyway, so the more people you can talk to, the better your results are going to be. That's never going to change. I don't care how much marketing automation we have, you know, all, all the different things that they have now to make marketing and sales uh, an easier process. It's still going to be a numbers game. So you need to talk to more people. Uh, the second thing that I see that people make a mistake about is that they're not they're not taking notes. And what I mean by that is, let's say you go to a networking function and you're meeting people. Um, when you're starting a conversation with someone and you start talking and, and you're, you're making that connection, you know, I always ask for a business card. And, you know, you should always have business cards or brochures, flyers, something that you can give to someone. And when somebody gives me a business card, follow-up to me, it begins as soon as you meet, meet someone. When I meet somebody at a networking function and I'm talking with them and they're telling me about, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a sales seminar that they're going to be speaking at next year, I'm making little mental notes. But I also know, too, I have a terrible memory, so if I don't write things down, I'm going to forget. And I find that no one else is really the exception to that rule. Um, right. You know, we have a tendency, we have so much going on, you know, we need to make notes. You know, take notes, put it on the back of their business card and just make a couple of notes that, you know, they're going to be speaking at an event or they have something coming up. Because if you're not making those notes, chances are after you meet a few more people, you go home, you, you get caught up in what's going on in your house and you uh, wind up going to sleep, you wake up the next day and you just forget all about it. Or there might be one little small detail that's an important detail that you didn't write down. So I would say a second thing is I, I see people not taking notes. And if someone's talking to you and they're telling you about different things, you know, you're, you're making a connection with them. Make that count. So you definitely want to take notes. The third thing I see is that they don't reach out appropriately. Um, you know, one of the things I do when I'm taking notes, for example, if, if we met at a networking function, I would be writing down the date what networking function I met you at, whether it was a BNI function, a chamber function, I would be taking very detailed notes um, on where I met you, what we talked about, if there was something that you know I, I need to think about later on down the road that could help me in my follow-up process. And I don't care if it's anything from you know someone's talking about their children, their cats, um, you know they're you know again they're going to be speaking at an event. Take those notes. So that way, when you reach out, you're reaching out appropriately. And what do I mean by that? And I'm sure everyone here listening can relate to this, where you've met people at a chamber function and you immediately come back to the office and you can tell it's a generic email. Uh, you know, hi, Adam, it was great meeting you today at, you know, fill in the blank for the event. And, you know, I hope that we have an opportunity to talk later in the week. And, you know, you can just tell that that email was probably copied and, and sent to everyone. There's nothing specific about it. 
for that person to really connect with. So when you're when you're reaching out to people, you need to do it appropriately. You know, hey, I really enjoyed, you know, talking to you about your cats. I know you're an avid animal lover just like me. And, you know, I have an event that I'm doing with the Humane Society in a couple of weeks. And I would love for us to get together. Maybe we can collaborate, share some ideas. And, you know, they are looking for extra volunteers. I don't know if you're interested in that, but we'll talk about that soon. So there's a difference when you're, you know, it helps to make that connection. So, and the way that you can do that is by remembering what you talked about. And usually the only way you're going to remember that is if you write it down. The fourth thing that I find is that people do not have a system in place for follow-up. Um, you need to make sure that you're setting up the next step. Um, you, for example, you do a one-on-one -on -one sales meeting, and the person is, for whatever reason, not ready to, to make a decision. They need to check with the higher-ups, or they need to check their budget, budget, whatever the case may be. So always make sure that you're setting, um, setting the next step up for them. Make it easier for them, and also make it easy for yourself in the follow-up process that you know, they know to expect a call from you. Hey, can I follow up with you next week, you know, maybe on Tuesday, just to see if there's a, a decision's been made yet? Yes, you can. Okay, great. So you're going to be writing down a note that you're supposed to be doing that. But if you have a system in place for sales meetings, maybe one for networking functions, where you're setting up that next step, you've talked to someone, you've made a connection. It's been great meeting, you know, talking with you. I would love for us to have coffee next week. I will get in touch with you. Um, and make sure that you're writing all of this down. I actually have forms that I use for myself specifically for one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings. And it's a step-by-step -step process. And anybody can make those at home. You can, you, know, you can just make something up in Word. You can even write it down with just a pen and paper um, that you know, when you met them, what was discussed? How did you leave the meeting? What, who's supposed to get in touch with who? If you, have you heard from them yet? And if so, what happened? Um, is it something that they're not ready to make a decision now? Maybe you need to follow up in six months. So writing down notes and dates and times and what was discussed, it's imperative. Um, so make sure that you have some type of system, and it doesn't have to be something fancy. And I'll, I'll talk more about setting up a system later. The last thing that I see a lot of people make a mistake about is that they let their fear take over. Um, you never want to do that. Don't be afraid to approach people. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call them. Uh, I have a client who spoke with me uh, yesterday who has two very good prospects. The meetings went well. Um, he thinks it's a, a, a thing of money, you know, that the money is, is keeping them from making, uh, making the next move. They're not returning his calls. They're not responding to his emails. And he told me, he said, I, I think they're just not interested. And I said, you're making an assumption based on your fear. And I said, right. you need to face the fear and you need to keep calling. Don't leave messages, but keep calling periodically. Keep reaching out. And once you get them on the phone, you would be surprised. They could have had a death in the family. They could have been, uh, you know, something going on internally with the company. It could be that something else is going on, you know, with the holidays. People get busy. Other things happen. And it doesn't always mean that they're avoiding you. And, you know, typically I said if somebody wants a way out, when you send an email, you know, to follow up with them, an email is a good way for them to say, look, I'm really not interested or we just don't have the money right now. You know, and then you can take it from there. So don't let your fear take over and don't uh, prejudge the situation. A lot of people do that and you should never do that. You know, I've, these are some things I've learned over time is that, uh, and 
you know what? We could actually stop the interview right here, and I think we would have gotten our full value just with these five mistakes that people make all the time. I think it's given people a lot to think about, and especially the fifth one, which is to make assumptions based on your own beliefs that you have follow up enough or that they're just not going to respond or whatever it is because things do happen in people's lives and as my businesses continue to grow I've found myself in situations where uh, you know sometimes people wrote to me three or four times until I got back to them Uh, it also could be legitimately that they're just not getting your messages Mm-hmm. You know how often we yeah. see in business that we think that uh, we we think that somebody's ignoring us, and then it's a complete shock to them that we're even trying to get a hold of them because maybe you uh, had an email address that was incorrect for that person, but it was going mm-hmm. somewhere and it never made it back to that person. Or it could exactly. be that your stuff was being blocked, but you weren't getting notices of that because it's something that had absolutely nothing to do with either your server or their server. And they may be like completely surprised uh, that there's this idea that they might have been blowing you off because they may have been thinking, hey, I was waiting to hear from Carrie. I always wondered what happened to her. I've been kind of swamped and didn't have a chance to check in, but so you see how right. that whole circle kind of comes around. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things in our follow-up system that I'm going to talk about, too, is, you know, keeping a log, you know, whether it's an electronic one with Salesforce or something, you know, you can go down to the dollar store and buy one of those little what they call a fat book, you know, and, and make notes, you know, have each page dedicated to one contact and just make notes on those pages. Myself, personally, I find that, you know, especially with high level executives, CFOs, CEOs, presidents, you know, VP of finance, it's going to take anywhere from 16 to up to 60 dials, you know, actually reaching out and dialing their number before you get them on the phone. And I mean, they're picking up the phone answering and you are talking to them. So it's pretty, and I see that just from my, you know, from my own experience, keeping track of all of that. So, you know, it, it could be a while and you're right. You know, sometimes your email, people think, well, I sent them an email. Well, they may have not received it. It could have gone to the junk folder. Their assistant may have looked at it while they were on vacation. They don't even see it. Uh, there's there's so many different things that could happen. Um, and I find, too, with follow-up is that nine times out of ten, you know, when you think you're bothering someone, when I get them on the phone, one of the first things that they'll say to me is, oh, thank you so much for continuing to follow up. I'm really sorry I haven't been able to get back, but this is what's been going on. And then it's usually something that has absolutely nothing to do with me, right. <laughs> nothing to do with the project that they're working on. It's just how things are. But I think people's fear, Adam, is that there's, people are very afraid of the telephone. They were 20 years ago. They still are today. And I don't know, it, it's almost like they feel like if they pick up the phone and they call their prospect, that JAWS is going to come through the receiver and bite their earlobe off and they're <laughs> going to be bleeding to death and have to go to the hospital. I mean, that's, that's how apparent the fear is. And you have to really, you've got to get over that. And the only way you're going to get over that is to stay on the phone, set up a system, continue to follow up. I don't think I've ever had anyone say to me the entire time I've been in business, and even when I did this for other people, um, you know, working in corporate, um, I don't think I've ever had anyone come to me and say, you're getting on my nerves, stop bothering me, don't ever call me again. I haven't had that happen. Um, you know, probably the closest thing that I've had has been, you know, honestly, it's just not a good fit for us. I don't see this happening 
you know, for our company, you know, I, I really appreciate your time and I value what you do, but it's just not a good fit for us. That's probably the worst thing someone has said to me uh, from right. a business standpoint. Um, so you really have to just get over that fear. Yeah, you know, um, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened to me is I had somebody who opted in to my list uh, to receive stuff from me, uh, and I knew exactly where they came from. They actually had attended a webinar that was hosted by somebody I was in partnership with three years ago, and then all of a sudden they uh, they send me a cease and desist notice uh, threatening me legally because they claimed I was spamming them. And I, I'm thinking, this is so absolutely hilarious. And then, and then they, and they thought, and they also went and they, uh, and they contacted my web host and then they just, you know, took abuse at and sent it to like 19 different entities and all that. I never miss an opportunity to publicly make fun of this person. Oh my goodness. That's, yeah. that, that's, that's going, I, so yeah. that, that's, 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 that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. The ones that actually get mad are usually, are, are usually, are usually stir bugs anyway. Uh, and they're, and they're actually good fodder. All I had to do was a casual Google search of this person who, uh, was opting in using fake email addresses, but he thought I couldn't see through that. He thought he was so clever because he said, the person who has been spamming me uses this mailing address and he copy pasted our company's mailing address from our mm -hmm. website. Yeah, I'm trying to hide that. Okay. Uh, he's the one tied mm -hmm. behind fake names. Uh, so I did a casual search on who the person really was, and I found, oh, all kinds of interesting stuff about his divorce case. Uh, the perjury, the obstruction of justice, uh, what happened, uh, you know, there must have been a reason why his wife and kids, like, ran across three time zones just to get away from him. I read about his adultery. I read about his fudging tax records. It was all kinds of interesting stuff. And if he's listening right now, let me just say hi. <laughs> I mean, no. if you go out there for a public record, and everything I just quoted to you was written by a judge in a legal opinion. Mm -hmm. So... There, there are Looney Tunes out there, and you have to just have a sense of humor and say, <laughs> okay, all right, so something about me uh, got them that upset that they had to take the time to lash out at me about it. Boy, I must, I must be really special. So if I'm that important, uh, somebody else out there is going to like me for being important. So why don't I just go focus on that, maybe do a follow-up call, maybe get some business today. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, and that can happen sometimes too. Um, you know, we work primarily business to business with our, you know, with our companies. We have a focus on helping companies that do that. But, you know, business to consumer, um, you know, obviously is a different animal. Um, but again, with the follow-up techniques that can apply to, uh, you know, business to consumer as well. You definitely want to keep uh, notes on how often you've contacted them, left them messages and so forth. That's a great place for us to segue into our next question here. I know we're a little over halfway through here, so we're going to pick up the pace a bit now and start getting into some specifics. But how often should you follow up with a prospect? Well, that's a great question, Adam. And what I tell people is, again, going back to one of the steps that I offered before is setting that expectation when you are meeting with someone, whether it's at a networking function or it's a one-on-one -on -one meeting, when you leave that meeting, um, if there's not a deal that's signed, sealed, and delivered, you know, and you need to do some follow-up, then you need to set the expectation. Um, so, okay, I, you know, it was great being here today. I am going to follow up with you next Tuesday, you know, if you hear anything before then. You know, so setting that expectation. Um, and then you set up that next step and, you know, making sure that you are keeping track of that. And, again, going back to the forms that you can create on your own, uh, you know, what your next step is going to be. You know, create your own step-by-step -step process. Um, and then I would say, you know, 
as far as following up with the prospect, you know, again, going back to my own example, you know, because of the type of clients that we have uh, that we work with one-on-one, they're trying to reach CEOs, CFOs, you know, presidents, the types of people that it is going to be even more difficult to get them on the phone. So you are going to have to call in a certain amount of times before you get them on the phone. So business to business, I would say, you know, keep notes. Don't always leave voicemail. If you, I I personally, I'm not an advocate of of voicemail unless it's, you know, I might leave one. But if I leave one, that's it. I don't leave anymore. I just, if I get their voicemail again, I just hang up and I'll write down in my notes like LVM for left voicemail or VM meaning I got their voicemail, but no message was left or NA meaning they're not available or you know, that they're, they're not there, they're in a meeting or what, you know, they're on vacation, you know, always take detailed notes. So, you know, Um, so I would say don't, you don't want to call someone every single day. If they're a consumer, uh, you definitely want to maybe touch bases with them maybe twice a week or three times a week because consumer based uh, selling is definitely a different animal and you have to be more careful with that. So with your follow-up, you know, you need to you can send some emails or you know do a couple of calls per week but definitely in the corporate arena i would say you know if you if you call into a company and you get their voicemail hang up you know if you want to call back later in the afternoon I, fine but i wouldn't do it any more than once or twice a day um until you can get them on the phone it's just going to take a while um so don't overdo it with the follow-up. And, and again, this goes back to it's a numbers game. You need to have other leads to call. You know, if you only have what you consider 10 really good prospects, you need to go out there and meet more people. Or the people that you have met, find another way to work with them. You need to have more people to follow up with. So you're not concentrating on, you know, five or 10 different leads. So, you know, and like I said, sometimes it can take anywhere from six up to 60 calls before you actually get that person on the phone. So just keeping those numbers in mind based on the type of industry you're in, just take notes, know when you've called them last, what happened. I, I definitely would not, if calling every time, leaving a voicemail, do not do that. Um, it's Number one, it's unprofessional. Number two, it takes up what you're doing is you're wasting their time because every time they check their voicemail, they're listening to the same mess, you know, you calling again. So if you call and and leave a voicemail, I would only suggest one time. So making sure that you're keeping detailed notes and records of when you're following up is going to help you out immensely. So uh, corporate arena, maybe once a day, once or twice a day, and then business to consumer, I would say maybe two or three times a week maximum. Okay. Uh, One quick note is, you know, we've seen a lot of studies, especially lately, that uh, if you call somebody live on a telephone, uh, like if you attempt to call somebody and get them on the phone, you have somewhere between a 5 and 10% chance of actually getting them live. Um, and that's mm-hmm. assuming somebody picks up the phone at all. That number goes down even further if they have an assistant who answers their phone for them or screens their calls because people just don't answer their phone live. And I say this publicly myself. If you don't have an appointment with me, unless you've given me like a, a scad ton of money, I'm not going to answer the phone because you're not on my schedule. It's that simple. And then and let me take this one step further. Um, in the age of texting and instant messaging and, and caller ID, everybody has one and all this, most times people need, don't even listen to their voicemails. They see who's mm-hmm. on the ID if they recognize the number. And they call back and say, mm-hmm. uh, Carrie, it's Adam. What do you want? Yeah. 
Well, going back to the topic we're talking about, this is more or less for follow-up. These are typically right. people you, you've met, um, you've had a meeting with. Um, it's, it's part of the follow-up process. And I would agree with you, you know, if you're going in, if you're doing cold calling, because uh, we actually have a division of our company called Knockout Marketing, and that's all we do is business-to-business lead generation and appointment setting, um, you know, for certain companies. So, you know, if, if you are, you know, to give people a couple of quick phone tips, you know, if you have someone who is a CEO you're trying to get a hold of that has an assistant, my suggestion is call like at 745 because typically executives get to the office early and nine times out of ten they stay late, so call after five or after right. business hours. Uh, because I, I will tell you I've gotten people on the phone that way because their receptionist or, or secretary is not there. Um, I've called during lunch hour, and I've been able to. That's always a good time to get C-level executives on the telephone. Is between 12 and 1, you know, their time, um, because you know the executives typically they're going to be in the office early. They're going to be leaving late. Uh, we've even had some success calling on, you know, on a Saturday, and you know, getting some of those people because they're at the office. Right. Um, I don't always recommend that, but if it's somebody that you really want to get in touch with, is you know, you need to kind of see what the hours are. Um, you know, if you find out, too, that that person is on vacation, sometimes that happens, too, where the secretary is out for a couple of days. Maybe a temp is in there answering the phone, uh, and you can get through. So it's really just going to, you know, to depend. So, you know, with, with that, you know, again, keeping in mind with the follow-up uh, process part of it, you know, you still will get that. But I would suggest, too, if you meet with a, an executive, you know, to, and I say this personally just from working as a corporate-level executive assistant, that, you know, they have more power than what people like to give them credit for. Um, you know, if they like you and they, you know, they can get your messages in front of them or at least try to get an answer for you on what the next step is going to be. So, you know, don't always, you know, feel like, hey, if you get that person on the phone. And I have asked people before, too, you know, some of these uh, executive level assistants, do you participate in this decision making at all do you I mean are you and and they'll come out and tell me well you know sometimes I have to you know depending upon what needs to be done I hope I don't get involved this year um, you know so it just kind of opens up that uh, idea of having a conversation with them too because if you have to get to that person through them just to get a final answer or just to get something pushed through you'd be surprised I, I was able to push a, a few deals through simply because I really really connected with the people that were coming in and, you know, wanted to see the company do business with them. Right. You know, that, that, that's, that's a very interesting thing that we also see people frequently forget with their follow-up is don't focus only on the person who you're looking to target because they may or may not be the actual decision maker when it comes down to it. Um, and think of it mm -hmm. this way, and this is kind of an undercover thing, and then we'll move on to the next question, is – are you sure that person who has the title is really the one that makes the decisions, or do you think there might be somebody else who effectively makes the decisions for them and then puts it on their desk? Exactly. So think and carefully happens, who the real decision maker is. Yeah, that happens quite frequently. I've I've spoken to a lot of presidents that say, um, I don't, you know, I so and so is in charge of that. You need to talk to them, and it's somebody beneath them. They've they've right. assigned that duty to someone else. So that's great. Right. So uh, here's another great question. Uh, how much is too much when it comes to follow-up? I would say, going back to what I said before, if it's business to consumer, um, you know, don't go over two or three times a week. Um, you know, 
especially with, with follow-up calls um, and even with an email, maybe sending one or two a week. Business to business, I would definitely say uh, going, if you were to call four or five times a day, um, and specifically, you know, again, going back to if it's a CEO that has an assistant and, you know, they're busy doing something, but they, they do have a caller ID flashing on their screen and they consistently see that number popping up, it's going to get annoying for them. So, you know, definitely uh, I wouldn't go any more than twice a day for corporate. Right. I think that's, um, I think that's very good to think of because it is possible to be, you know, not only annoying, but it's also possible that you're just spinning your wheels on something that's not going to happen anyway. And just you know, mm-hmm. calling and leaving the same message over and over again. I've been on the receiving end of this sometimes, where I've had people just, uh, it's like, and they would even do it the same date and time every single week. So like Thursday at 2.30, I could look down like clockwork and I'd see, oh, the same number's ringing. I know who this is. I'll listen to the voicemail uh, yeah, because just at this point it's entertainment. And they'll leave, they're leaving the exact same message word for word. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, what, have I you, will... what, have you, like, what have you done to pre-qualify me? How do you even know? And it turned, exactly. out that I was, it turned out I wasn't in the industry that they were targeting. Right. Well, I will just a really quick story on, on follow-up. And, you know, uh, one of the things I tell people, because they'll say how, mu- how much is too much, how long should I chase this person down, my, one of my current clients that I have, and it's one of my bigger clients, it took me two years of follow-up yeah. before they came on board with me. Two years. And what I tell people is, you know, I'm glad that I did all of that follow-up because it, it definitely paid off. But, too, with, as far as, like, chasing them, what I did, you know, to chase, per se, was that when I had a conversation with them, I would call them and say, you know, hey, I'm just checking in. You know, I how's the project coming along? I was building a relationship with them during those two years. And anytime I saw an article related to the IT profession that they were getting, you know, getting into building up, um, I would send it to them or I'd send them a quick email. Hey, I saw this, just thought you might want to take a look, hope things are going well. When the holidays came around, hope you're having a great Thanksgiving. You know, I would always just have something like that. But then I would also have the calls that I would call out to them and say, I just want to check in with a project. You know, I told you two months ago I would probably follow up, you know, in another two months, and I just want to check in. How are things going? You know, just to get an update. And they would tell me exactly what was going on. And, you know, then I would say, hey, is it okay? Can I follow up in another, you know, three or four months or six months? And nine times out of ten they would always say, well, these people always did, they always said, yes, that would be great if you could do that. Thank you for keeping us posted. And when they – extended you know the offer for us to work together that's exactly what they told me the reason you're here is because you continued to follow up and you know we appreciated that and you built a relationship you weren't always calling about the project you know i would send different things to them via email or even regular mail and you know just reaching out and just saying hey i'm still here what's going on and most people i can tell you adam from a sales perspective would never chase the prospect for two years right but you have to you know you have to do that there's I find, you know, typically around this time of year and also, too, at the end of the year, I see a lot of people that I haven't heard from in maybe a year, maybe two years. They're scrambling for business because it's the end of the year. They're trying to make their numbers, and they're reaching out to me. And it's, you know, the last time I heard from them was probably around the same time last year. Right. And, you know, it's still, it's, you know, again – 
even if it's not the right time or it doesn't seem like it's going to come to fruition right now, you should always be keeping yourself in front of that person. And it shouldn't always be about let's close the deal. What can, you know, get to know your prospects. How can you help them? What can you do? And especially if it's a question of money for your prospect, we can't do it right now because of the money. Well, see what you can do to help them make more money. You might have a connection that could be a great client for them, but you're not going to know if you don't have that discussion. You know, sometimes I regret that the Business Creators Radio Show is only a one-hour format because we're not going to get to anything <laughs> near what we hope to cover here. We might have to have you back for a follow-up. Uh, but there's, but it's you know, it's funny that what we're talking about right now is that um, you know, and what's also interesting is you ended up answering a few of my follow-up questions just in the answer of that one. So for that reason, I, I love having you here, and you're a fantastic person to join us here at Business Creators Radio Show. Uh, what role should social media play in our follow-up? Well, social media, um, it can definitely play a role. I mean, obviously, you know, to me, and I think everyone else should use this with their follow-up efforts, leaving a voicemail, emailing, or tweeting to your prospect, that's not follow-up. Follow-up needs to be a personal touch. Meaning right. you're talking to them or they respond back to your email, that's what you should count as follow up. I mean, you're going to, in order for you to get that follow up, you're going to have to reach out to them. I mean, could you make a connection with them on LinkedIn? Sure. Um, but don't think because you've met with them, you've, they're following you on Twitter, you're connected on LinkedIn, and at some point they're going to do business with you. I mean, if you drop the ball and you're not going to do anything else to build on that relationship and continue to do follow-up, it's just not going to come to fruition. Now, it might if they have an immediate need and they're putting, you know, they're, they're starting to call people and they're putting out like a bidding process or, you know, they're looking, you know, for the best rates that they can find, but then you're competing with other people. You want to become forefront in their mind and how you do that is by continually reaching out making that connection and uh you know again leaving a voicemail and uh you know tweeting or connecting with them on linkedin is you know it's good that you're doing that but don't count it as follow-up right uh what are some of the mistakes you see people make when it comes to how they contact people through social media because i have a couple thoughts on this but i want to see what you uh or you've come up with My personal opinion, um, and I make no secret about this, even though we have a marketing magazine and a talk radio program and social media is part of marketing, I am not a fan of social media. I never have been. I never will be. Uh, From a branding perspective, I think it's great to keep your your name out there. It might be a good way for you to uh, maybe tweet an article, you know, to your prospect. Um, Hey, I saw this. You know, you might want to take a look at this article. Fine, but as far as it uh, playing a heavy role, um, I, I I find that it's it's just not. I've never had anybody say to me, you know, I've been following you on Twitter and I think you're great and and I want to do business with you. I have not had that happen. Ninety nine percent of my prospects and clients have not had that happen. I've had a few people who have told me that that happens for them. However, they are in the social media arena. They're social media consultants, right. coaches, and so. Forth. So, you know, do I think do I think that people need to implement it as a big part? No. Right, but I can see. I can also see. You know, you mentioned about connecting on LinkedIn and things like that. That I can see is a definitely another definitely another avenue for building 
a relationship with them. Like let's say on LinkedIn, you can share, you can say, hey, uh, you know, I just wanted to check in on how the project is doing, and I was just thinking about you, and this might help you. And then you share an article that's mm-hmm. related to what they told you. I could see that, and I appreciate getting right. those, mm-hmm. and I like sharing those. And let's say that you connect with them on Facebook through your personal profiles. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. occasionally, you know, occasionally putting a like on something that you can tell is important to them, or you're making a helpful comment on something that they posted that sounded interesting. And I don't mean doing every single one because then you're obvious. But like, you know, mm-hmm. just doing that right. every once in a while. And if it's somebody you're really interested in potentially doing business with, maybe a couple times a week, just so that your name just keeps subtly popping up on their radar screen. So they see you regularly liking their stuff, but not in a way that's stalkerish. They say, oh, this yeah. is a cool person. This, oh, I, I, love, I love this. I'm so glad that uh, Carrie's following me here. Or you, yeah. you occasionally well, say something yeah. insightful. It's like, oh, isn't that nice? And it builds a little bit of a relationship. Right. Well, I mean, again, I mean, it's it can be part of the tasks that you implement, but right. you know, again, it shouldn't be definitely shouldn't be the only thing that you're doing. No. Um, we live in an age right now, Adam, where information's being thrown at us through social media. When we get on the internet and we're searching for things, people send us email newsletters, people send us stuff in the mail, people are calling us. We constantly have information thrown at us. And again, how you really will stand out from the crowd is it's having an actual conversation. Um, our, you know, a big part of how we really make our money is through, uh, our division with knockout marketing. And that is actually, you know, helping people on the phone, you know, helping them with lead generation and having a conversation with them, helping them set appointments. And, you know, I do it for myself as well, you know, for my own business and nothing is ever going to really take the place of that, of two people talking, um, having that connection, because again, you're going to hear things in a conversation that you're not going to hear on LinkedIn. I mean, let's face facts. Right. Most people don't want to post what's really going on on social media, right? whether it's in their personal life or in their business. So, Right, right. I'm just saying it's another great way to just sort of keep yourself on the radar screen in a very low-key sort of non-pressure, engagey sort of way. So it's not like, mm-hmm. and I think what's also really cool about it is that it's not every single conversation is you just being friendly, hoping to close a deal again, where, some, where it is actually possible for Adam to interact with Carrie without Carrie mm-hmm. leading every single conversation to, so about that thing we discussed six months ago. Right. Because that right. would increase my comfort but- level right there where I know I can have a conversation with you and I don't have to tell you no. Yeah. And I would say, too, even with the, you know, I find what the systems, you know, follow-up systems that are effective, you know, you can definitely put that in your notes. You tweeted an article or you, you know, uh, sent them an email on LinkedIn, you know, definitely incorporate it. It just shouldn't be the only thing or the forefront thing that you're doing. It needs to be a mix. Right. There's one thing that I see people do on social media, and I see this especially on on Facebook, and I think it's very unfortunate, is uh, – People will jump on your threads, whatever you're talking about, and they'll say, hey, man, uh, you know, I got this opportunity. We need to talk. And mm-hmm. usually I just delete the comment without responding to it to sort of send mm-hmm. the message that they really shouldn't have said that. If it, if they, and if they really want to you know, drag me out on this, I'm going to say, we need to? What do, you, what do you mean need? I don't feel that need. I, uh, you know, I had breakfast. I, I, I took my walk. <laughs> I you know, caught up on my email, did this project. I've done pretty much everything I need to. So right. I, 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 also, I also had this uh, scenario once where uh, every single time that I would like or comment on 
somebody, and this didn't last long, believe me, if I liked or commented on anything they posted on social media, within 30 seconds, my direct message box was lighting up, reminding me of how long it had been since the last time they tried to follow up with me about their business opportunity. And I'm thinking, I haven't answered you on this three times already. Maybe you should take the hint that if you ever were to do business with me, you might want to try getting to know me first. And maybe I'm just not trying to, you know, say no to your business opportunity because I can already sense you're going to pummel me with objection counters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I would just say too, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that probably goes back to more of, you know, cold calling, which, you know, we could do a whole segment on cold calling because cold calling can be done in person, right. uh, on the phone, online, I, you know. So it is, you know, is something just a little bit different. Um, so, yeah, and it's something that when I tell people when they're coming up with a system for follow-up, you know, that those are things that may not be the most effective way to go. Right, right, right. And, that, and then we may have to have you back for a segment on that if you'd be willing on uh the art of cold calling. I think that's something that some of Absolutely. our people, even though we, you know, I personally don't do it, and I know a lot of people that teach you that if you're doing it right, you should never have to make a cold call. Every time I say that, I get somebody who says, oh, no, cold calling is how you build your business. And I like bringing a variety of perspectives onto the Business Creators Radio Show, so we're going to have to have you back on that. Oh, I would love to come back. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, good thing, because I know you still have plenty of the same. We're out of time. So uh, what I want to <laughs> is, uh, first of all, Carrie Heaps, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. What I'd like to do is just turn over the floor for just one moment and tell our listeners who are on the edge of their seat looking to take it to the next level how they can engage with you and how you serve business creators. Um, absolutely. Uh, well, we basically we have three different services that we offer under our corporate umbrella. One of them is our magazine, Strictly Marketing Magazine, and that's published six times a year. We also have a talk radio program that goes with that um, where we talk about nothing but marketing topics. If it's under the marketing umbrella, we cover it. So we try to bring in uh, lots of experts and lots of different opinions and different ways to you know, get certain things accomplished in your sales process. So definitely uh, subscribing to the magazine is a wonderful way to uh, you know, help take your business to the next level and just you know, give yourself some ideas if you're feeling a little stuck in your business. And they can actually uh, go directly to the website and both the talk radio program and the magazine magazine are listed at uh, strictlymarketingmagazine.com. Fantastic. And let me just say one more time, this has been an honor, a pleasure, and an education. So, Carrie, thank you once again for being with us. Thank you for having me, Adam. It was great to be here. All right. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes where we help you win at the game of business and marketing.